Welcome, 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 welcome everybody to the Neurological Deep Dive. I am your host, Ferret Fawns. And today, divorce is always immoral and destructive. Do you agree? I do. We're going to talk to Gospel Dawn about this and see what he has to say. Thank you again for listening. Thank you, Gospel Dawn, for coming through. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Neurological Deep Dive podcast. This is the Gospel Hour with Dawn. And thank you, Fawns, for featuring the Gospel Hour. Today's topic is divorce is always immoral and destructive. That's what I'm going to try to show from God's Word. Now, I think most of us know that marriage, as it, the state of marriage in America, is on the decline and it's in a very bad shape right now. And a big reason is because people are under the impression that divorce is sometimes okay and sometimes morally acceptable. Well, I believe it is not. Let's define marriage first. Marriage is the legal union of a man and woman for life. It is a divine institution, not a human invention. The married state is an honorable state, according to the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So, notice it says, marriage is honorable in all. That means if you were young and foolish and you get married, it's still an honorable state. If you were married by a Catholic priest, it's still an honorable state. If you were married by a non-Catholic priest, it is an honorable state. Marriage is honorable in all people who are married. If you were married by some false preacher or a bad person, or even through the justice of the peace, it's still an honorable state. So marriage was designed by God, and it was designed to be permanent and until death parts the man and the wife. All human governments are obligated to properly define recognize and uphold the God-ordained institution of marriage. Now, when I say all human governments, I'm speaking of these three basic governments, home government, church government, and civil government. All these governments must uphold the God-ordained institution of marriage. That means no pastor, no lawyer, no judge, no politician has the God-given right to approve of divorce or to approve of same-sex marriage which is really not merit. All who do so are the enemies of God and the enemies of society in general. There is no such thing as a scriptural divorce or a biblical divorce. Divorce is always a sin against God, against the family, against culture, against your society. And here are some reasons for believing this. Number one, divorce is always sinful on the basis that both partners solemnly promise on their wedding day never to leave each other. When they got married, both spouses entered into a formal and sacred vow to be joined together for life. The man said, I take thee to be my lawfully wedded wife until death do us part. So help me God. And of course, they usually add things like in sickness and in health. We will cleave together, in other words, in sickness and in health and for better or for worse. And they often add a lot of other parts to, the, to that vow. And the bride says the same basic thing. 
She says, I take thee to be my lawfully wedded husband until death do us part. So help me God. So notice that God is implicated in this vow. So these are legally and morally binding vows. Holy matrimony is a serious covenant. In other words, it's a contract made in the presence of God and in the presence of witnesses. Common law, natural law, divine law, all these laws dictate that solemn covenants and vows are to be kept. And you can read about it in Numbers, in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 30, verse 1 and 2, it says this, quote, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. End quote. Also, you read the same basic thing in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21. It says, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. And the word forbear to vow means refuse to vow. So, to vow, rather. So, uh, this shows that God is implicated. God will require it of us. That means he will hold us to account to our vows. So that's why this is a very, very serious topic that we're, we're talking about. Also, you see the same thing in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And chapter 5, verse 4, it says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. That means delay not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. <clears throat> also, in Psalms 50, verse 14, it says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. So, a marriage vow is not only a vow made to your spouse, but it's a vow made to God. So, God is implicated in it. So, that's one reason why divorce is always sinful, because both partners promised on their wedding day to be married and to cleave together for life. Number two, divorce is always wrong because marriage was instituted by God to involve a leaving, a cleaving, and a becoming of one flesh. We read about that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, quote, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. To cleave means to adhere firmly and closely or loyalty, or loyally and unwaveringly. That's what it means. To cleave to means to adhere loyally and unwaveringly. It also means to be cemented or glued, which intimates that nothing but death 
can separate them. And you can see here that there are three, three aspects to marriage. There's a leaving, a leaving of the parents. There's a cleaving unto the wife. And there is a becoming of one flesh. All three of these are the components of marriage. God instituted marriage to be a permanent arrangement. He did this because he wills the well-being of both spouses and of the offspring also. He knows that children are best prepared for adulthood when they receive the care and supervision of both parents in the home and both working together. That marriage is to be lifelong is God's will for all legitimate marriages. <clears throat> it's also God's will for all people. And it's God's will for all of societies and for all of time on, on earth. Same-sex marriages are not real and legitimate marriages because, according to God, real marriages require a man and a woman. And, of course, the Lord Jesus defined it in that way, too, in Mark chapter 10 verse 6. So divorce is like separating two wooden boards that have been glued together. Pieces of both boards are broken off if you try to separate them. So divorce does damage. It's destructive. And that's number two. Divorces were always wrong because marriage involves a leaving, a cleaving, and a becoming of one flesh. Number three. Divorce is always wrong because if it were sometimes right, it would lead to apathy in the matter of improving and preserving the marriage. If God would say it is sometimes proper to divorce, he would be encouraging the kind of lax behavior that would tend towards separation and divorce. He would be encouraging neglect and inattention regarding the marriage relationship. God's will is for us to choose always to do what is best for him as well as for all people. It is best to view divorce as always wrong because this view will tend to provide the necessary incentive and carefulness for couples to work at loving each other God's way. If divorce is perceived as a possible proper option in case things go sour, the motivation to forgive one's mate and persevere in the duties of marriage will tend to wane. They will tend to, to subside, in other words. God would be working against all marriages if he were to say that he sometimes approves of divorce. Now, think of animals that are put into a cage. Think of a lion or tiger or some dog or something put into a cage. At first, that animal tries to find a way out of that cage and is quite restless. It wants to get out. But once it tries all the ways to get out and it realizes it cannot get out, that animal tends to settle down and acquiesce in his state of affairs. Well, that's kind of like marriage. Once you're, once you're married, you're caged in by moral law as well as by God's law, which are the same, by the way. And so, uh, and also according to uh, common law. So just knowing that there is no legal way out of marriage will cause spouses to learn to make the best of their situation and to learn to be content in that state. The Bible clearly says that God hates divorce. He says that in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. The reason he hates divorce is because he loves both spouses, he loves children, and he loves all people. That's why he hates divorce. His good will toward us impels him to hate that which injures individuals and communities. 
Knowing that God hates something will help us to hate it also and will help us to take measures to avoid it. If your father and mother told you that they hated cigarette smoking, would not their hatred of it make you think that they have a good reason for their hatred and thus induce you to stay away from cigarette smoking also? The belief that divorce is a sin that will someday be punished by God will tend to motivate couples to study and obey God's word on the subject. Now, when I say study and obey God's word, I'm not saying study and obey the words of your favorite pastor, because most pastors are very weak on this subject in America anyway, very weak, and actually destroying marriages, even though they'll say they're trying to preserve marriage, but their policies are contrary to the Bible in many ways, or at least in some ways. So that's point number three. Divorce is always wrong because if it were right, it would lead to apathy in the matter of improving and preserving marriage. Here's number four. Divorce is always immoral because covenant breaking is immoral. In Malachi chapter 2 verse 14, we read that marriage is a covenant. Let me read it to you, or part of it anyway. In uh, Malachi chapter 2 verse 14, it says, Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. There it is. It says, Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. So you see, marriage is a covenant. It involves a covenant and it is a covenant. I'm going to keep reading here. It says in verse 15, And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. And wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit. And let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith, he hateth putting away. And you see, there's that word. He says he hateth putting away. Putting away means divorce. And treacherously means by violating allegiance. He doesn't want men to violate allegiance to their wives. Treacherousness involves, or, or treachery involves um, failing to keep faith in a pledge that you've made. It really speaks of unfaithfulness. So men should be faithful to their wives, and of course wives should be faithful to their husbands. And unfaithfulness is a, a form of treachery, and or it is treachery, and divorce is a form of treachery. It's covenant breaking. In Romans chapter 1 verse 32, we also read that covenant breakers are worthy of death. You'll have to read that in the King James Bible because all modern versions don't like that word covenant breaker, probably because it's a little bit too reminiscent of divorce. And a lot of people who have uh, written modern Bibles are quite pro-divorce in, in, in many of their thoughts and in their ways. So it says they're worthy of death, covenant breakers. And that's what divorce is. It's breaking a covenant. And that death there has to mean either spiritual or eternal death, or both. It definitely, I would say that it involves both eternal death and spiritual death. A covenant, what is that? A covenant is a solemn and binding agreement. Marriage involves a serious covenant between a man and a woman. Covenant making is often right and proper, but covenant breaking is wrong and it's worthy of divine punishment. 
However, I want to add this, that I believe it's proper to break a covenant or a vow that is inherently sinful, such as a vow made in a same-sex marriage. That would be inherently sinful right then and there. It's a, it's a wrong connection. should never have been made, and it's a wrong kind of connection. And, and of course, if you vow to commit murder, then I believe it would be right to break that vow. Do not commit murder. Murder is, is a crime and is a sin. So anyway, divorce is, that's number four. Divorce is always immoral because covenant breaking is immoral. Number five, divorce is always evil because God expressly forbids it and claims to hate it, as I already mentioned. And I'm going to read that verse again. It's in Malachi chapter two. It says, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith he hateth putting away. That's one verse. Here's another verse. It's in Mark chapter 10. And verse in Mark chapter 10, where am I? Verse 9, it says, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Well, that word man there means spouse, lawyer, judge, politician, pastor. Let not man put asunder. What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. That's a clear prohibition of divorce right there in God's word. That's in Mark chapter 10. Here's another good verse. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 and 11. And it says, unto the married I command. Now he's commanding this to who? To the married. Doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever. Unto the married I command. Yet not I, but the Lord. Okay, so in other words, Jesus commanded this. And Paul is just quoting the Lord Jesus here. And this is what he says. Quote, let not the wife depart from her husband, but that's, okay, there's one command. Don't, he's telling the wife, don't depart from the husband. Then it says, but, and if she depart, in other words, if she violates that law, then it gives another law. Let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. End quote. That's 1 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11. Now notice it says, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried. Why unmarried? So that a reconciliation can take place. That's why remarriage after a divorce is positively wrong. That's why it commands her, if she does leave him, she better stay unmarried. Why? So that a reconciliation can take place. And then it says, or be reconciled. The wife can change her mind. We all change our mind at times. And what's wrong with changing our mind and changing our mind to do that which is right? Nothing wrong with that. It's called repentance. Here's another good verse. It's in Luke chapter 16, and it's in verse 18. It says, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. So this is clear that a man should never divorce his wife. And if a wife has been put away by her husband, even though she didn't want, want the divorce, it is wrong for another man to marry that woman. It says, whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. This is advice I give to young men. Don't ever, ever marry a divorced woman. Ever. And so that would be right there in Luke chapter 16, verse 18. And there's other verses. There's Matthew chapter 5 talks about divorce being wrong. Matthew chapter 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is another good verse that teaches that it's wrong to get, uh, to get uh, divorced or to divorce our husband. Let me read 1 Corinthians. I'm turning there. In chapter 7 and verse 39, it says, 
The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. That word bound means legally or morally tied, morally obligated. That's what it involves. The wife is morally obligated by the law as long as her husband liveth. So these are just some of the verses that clearly say that God hates putting away. Now, as I already said, putting away means divorce or to separate. It means to divide into parts, to put asunder, it says in another place. It means to divide into parts. God doesn't want that. God hates all sins. He hates lying. He hates insubordination. In other words, when wives are not submitting to their husbands, God hates that. He hates drunkenness. He hates adultery. He hates abuse. But guess what? He also hates divorce. All sins lead to temporal and everlasting sorrow and pain. It is because God loves us so much that he hates sin so much. Now, I mentioned abuse. Someone might be saying, a lady might be saying, you mean to say that if my husband is always abusing me, that I have to stay with him? The answer is yes. But let me ask you, if you're a woman and you've just said that statement to me, I want to ask you some questions. Are you being meek and quiet as a lady should be? Are you being submissive to your husband? Are you doing what he wants? Are you talking back to him? Are you, do, are, are you believing that you have equal authority with him in the marriage and in the home? If you are, then you're causing problems and you're causing contention. Are you easily provoked to anger? Maybe you need to change that. Maybe your anger toward him is causing him to be angry toward you. Are you willing to forgive him? Notice I said willing and ready to forgive. Do you want to reconcile? Do you, are you endeavoring to live at peace? And, and endeavoring to forbear one another in love, like the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, forbearing one another in love. Or are you being self-willed? Are you actually thinking of departing? Are you planning to depart in the marriage? All these things, if you are doing these things, well, you're contributing to the contention and to the, and to the misery in your marriage. So, you know, there's a good verse in the Bible. It says, for it is better... If the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. You know, you can't get through life without suffering. Everyone's going to suffer. Now, maybe the husband is asking, you know, you know, as a, if, if as a husband, let's say, you are being abused or you feel you're being abused. Well, ask yourself this if you're a husband. Am I loving her as I ought? Am I loving her more than God? Which should not be, by the way. Make sure you love God more than her. You are truly loving her if you are loving God more than her. Maybe ask yourself this, am I acting as a kind and loving leader in my home or a head? Am I acting as a loving head of the home? Am I trying to reason with her? Am I forbearing and overlooking minor faults? Am I correcting her thinking in a, in a kind way if she's thinking wrong, because that's what causes divorce is when people start to think wrong. Am I willing to forgive her? Perhaps she has wronged you. Are you willing to forgive her? Are you willing to live at peace with her? The Bible says, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That means as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Are you taking charge in your marriage? Maybe that's causing the problem. Am I reasonable in my expectations of my wife? Maybe you, you, you have too many unreasonable expectations. These are all questions that may, may help you to be a, a, better, a better husband. So 
So if the woman says, I'm being abused, well, maybe he feels you are abusing him. Abuse goes both ways. And uh, I know that there are, there are wife beaters in this world, but there's also husband beaters. And I think there are more husband beaters than wife beaters. I really believe that. I believe there are more women who are beating on their boyfriends or their, their man friend than the other way around. So both, both are wrong. So um, anyway, God hates divorce. Divorce is like you've got a leg, let's say that a bone is out of joint, so you amputate the leg. That's not the solution. Or you've got a bad scratch on your leg. So what do you do? You amputate the leg. D divorce is like an amputation when all, maybe all is needed is something else. Maybe put the bone back in place. Maybe just bandage it and wait for the, the, the wound to heal. So divorce is never the solution. Never the solution to a bad marriage. All these other things I talked about, loving your spouse, that's the solution. Being humble, being willing to change yourself, taking the beam out of your own eye first instead of, the, instead of working on the other person. In other words, so th these things will help to preserve a marriage. So let's go to number six. Divorce is always wrong because it is always inconsistent with true love and with true goodwill. To love means to promote the good or the well-being of. No person can honestly say that supreme love for God and love for his or her spouse and the children is the ultimate aim for which he or she is pressing for or hoping for a divorce. Don't even indulge a hope of divorce because that's a bad spirit right there. An unwillingness to reconcile or to make up with one's spouse is a bad and unkind spirit. You read about that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 24. It says, first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. In other words, before we take part in religious sacraments or religious religious uh, obligations like giving, we need to make sure we're right with our fellow man. First be reconciled. In other words, do everything in your power to reconcile with those that you've offended. So before you go to church, you need, if you've offended somebody, go to that person and tell them, I'm sorry. I, I'll, I'll hope. I, I'll try never to do that again. And it, again, I already quoted Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That's the way we are to be with our spouses, especially. We ought to do all that is in our power without committing a sin to get right with our spouses. Don't sin in the process. The refusal to forgive when the situation calls for it is a spirit of hate and ill will. So we should always be ready to forgive. Even though you may not be able to extend forgiveness, you can at least have a right attitude in the whole situation and bear up under the, under the, the bad situation that you're living in. The Bible talks about long suffering. That means suffering a long time. And by the way, pain and suffering are not the worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world is sinning and committing a sin, violating your duty to God. That's the worst thing. Suffering is not the worst thing in the world. Now, I know everybody wants to avoid suffering, but sometimes living for Christ and doing right will involve suffering. There's just no way around it. We're in a fallen world, and we need, we need to realize that. Number seven, divorce is always wrong because it is always caused by hard-heartedness hard-heartedness, and by selfishness. That's what causes 
divorce. It's always selfishness or hard-heartedness. Now, I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 7. It says, They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? See, that's what Moses instituted. It was the bill of divorce. That's what Moses instituted. He didn't institute divorce. Divorce was an existing problem, and it was wrong. Well, look how Jesus answers this. He says, He saith unto them, verse 8, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. God's standard is no, do not divorce. But hard-heartedness, you know what that is? That is a state of impenitence. It's a state wherein one is conformed or confirmed in sin and in rebellion. It's a confirmed rebellious person. And some men were confirmed in their rebellion and in their sin, and they wouldn't change. So God, as a measure to slow down the rate of divorce, was, okay, you're going you're gonna to have to give her this bill. Then he's going to have to take time. He's going to have to give it some forethought. And then he's going to have to realize if he puts her that bill in her hand and sends her out, he can never have her back if she remarries. And that's all found in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Well, this whole process would cause a man to think twice before putting away his wife. So divorce is caused by hard-heartedness, by a, an implacable spirit, so to speak, wherein one is committed to doing his will rather than God's will. And there are some people like that. But that's why the bill of divorce was allowed. So selfishness, what is that? It's the exclusive or uppermost regard for one's own interest or one's own supposed good. It is a regard for one's own advantage without due regard for the advantage or happiness of others. Selfishness is the essence of sin, which if it is not cast off, will exclude us from heaven. There are going to be no selfish people in heaven. So if you want to go to heaven, you have to learn to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor or your fellow man as yourself. And only that kind of person will be allowed in heaven. No one else will be allowed into heaven. That's why love is, is really the, the prime characteristic of a person who's going to be in heaven. To pursue a divorce is to be selfish. Or it's to pursue self-interest as an end. There is always someone wrongly injured by divorce. Always. No person can honestly say that love for God or for people is the ultimate or chief motive for wanting a divorce. No one can really say that. I've actually heard some woman, well, I had to leave my husband because, because of the children. That's... <laughs> That is That does not hold any water whatsoever. You are destroying your children if you leave your husband. Uh, and same with the husband. is destroying his children if he's unfaithful to his wife or if he is uh, leaving his wife. Divorce is just simply a selfish act, period, because it's contrary to God's law. Therefore, it's always best for both spouses, for the children, and for the general public that married people stay married and make the best of their situation. You know, you can at least rest happily in this thought. If you're an unhappily married couple, you can at least take comfort in the fact that death will end the marriage. And there is no marriage in the afterlife. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30. 
we are going to be like the angels. In other words, there will be no marriage relationships in heaven, and there will be no marriage act that takes place in heaven. There's not going to be 72 virgins waiting for you when you get to paradise. Uh, and so this is important to realize. So at least married people, you know, it's not going to last forever. When one of you dies, the marriage is going to end. So there can be a little bit of relief, maybe, and maybe not. I don't know. But um, you're not going to be married for eternity. You're going to be married till death do you part. That's all. That's how long marriage lasts. That's number seven. Divorce is always wrong because it's always caused by hard-heartedness and selfishness. And I do believe Anybody who pursues a divorce is being uh, impenitent. They're being rebellious against God's law. Number eight, divorce or separation, legal separation or any kind of separation, is immoral because it is against the law of expediency and it's against the law of edification. I'm quoting now in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Quote, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. End quote. Paul, the apostle, is here addressing the matter of eating meats that had been sacrificed to idols. It was technically lawful and permissible to eat meats that had been previously offered in sacrifices, so long as they did it, so long as they did not eat the meat in respect to idols. In other words, Idolatry is wrong, but eating meats that have been previously sacrificed to idols, that, that was not wrong. They probably got the meat on sale somewhere, and uh, they're just enjoying the meat. That's fine. So Christians must not only consider what is lawful, but also what is expedient and what will edify others. To be expedient means to be fit or suitable for the purpose. Expediency means proper under the circumstances. It means useful or profitable. That's the law that all Christians must follow. Is this the most profitable thing you can do right now? Ask yourself that. That's the law of expediency. That's what we, we've got to govern our lives by. The word edify means to build up. It's where you get the word edifice. It means to build up in the faith and in holy living. So we should build ourselves up in holy living but also others as well. And so separation from the bed and home of the husband is not only inherently sinful, but it is also inexpedient and unedifying. In other words, separation or divorce is never suitable for the purpose of serving God and serving your family. And it will never tend to build up other believers in the faith, nor yourself in the faith. So that law is a good one. That's why I believe divorce is wrong, because of it's against the law. Divorce is against the law of expediency and edification. That's number eight. Number nine, divorce is always wrong because it is only an unbeliever or one who reverts to a state of unbelief who will depart from one's spouse. That's very important. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15 says, quote, But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. 
end quote. So believers in Christ follow the will of Christ. What is the will of Christ? Matthew 19 says, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. End quote. One or a person who doesn't follow this law is in a state of unbelief and shall be damned if no repentance occurs. Because the Bible says, uh, and they that believe not shall be damned, it says. It says the unbelieving shall be, in Revelation 21, 8, it says the unbelieving shall be cast into the lake of fire. So it's only the unbelieving one that will depart. So if you are planning on departing from your spouse, just mark it down. You're opposing Christ. You're not believing in him. You're not following him. Now, I want you to note something here. It talks about the abandoned spouse. An abandoned spouse is not under bondage, it says. This means, as I understand it, he or she is not bound to provide for or to perform the duties of marriage to the spouse who departs. The deserted spouse is not in bondage to, that is, not a slave to, the one who departs. This verse is not teaching that the deserted spouse is free to date or remarry someone else, because it clearly says, if the wife depart, let her remain unmarried. So remarriage is out of the question. To remarry is to commit adultery, according to Mark chapter 10 and verse 11. And I'm turning there right now. In Mark chapter 10, verse 11, says this, And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband, and be married to another, she committeth adultery. So, to remarry is to commit adultery. And you can read a, a, another passage. It's in Romans. I want, I'm reading it because I want you to hear God's words on this. this. These are not my opinions. I'm trying to be as faithful to the scriptures as I can. The Bible says, let every man be alive. Let God be true and every man be a liar. In other words, every man should be considered a liar compared to God. And so here are, here's God's word in Romans chapter 7 and verse 2. It says, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. That's Romans chapter 7. So, here's number 10. Divorce is always sinful because it always involves a degree of betrayal. It's betrayal. The Bible says in the, says in the end times, men shall be betray one another. People shall be betraying one another. Well, that's divorce. To betray means to violate by fraud or by unfaithfulness. That's what it means. To betray means to fail or desert 
to fail someone or to desert them, especially in time of need. That's betrayal. To betray a spouse is to wrong him or her. And that's what divorce is. You're breaking your vow. You're betraying the one that you said you'd be with and love and cherish for the rest of your life. And you're breaking that. And that's very painful. But the Bible says in the end times, many will betray one another, it says. In other, in other words, it's proof that the Bible's the word of God, just seeing that the divorce is so rampant. Of course, many people are not even getting married anymore because they've destroyed marriage to the de such a degree that nobody dares to try marriage. And that's a bad state that we're in. And things have to change, and it has to start from the past with the pastors, with the politicians, and with the lawyers and the judges. These people are destroying this country in a way that is unimaginable. I never thought America could fall to this to this level. But anyway, here's number eleven: to divorce is wrong because it is never commanded by God. In the New Testament Bible. Uh, by the way, you will. I challenge anybody in the universe to give me one verse in the Bible that gives the right for a wife to separate from her husband. One verse. I'd like to see one. And of course, it's going to have to be twisted if they're going to use it. But there is none. Definitely a woman who divorces her husband is violating many, many laws of God. Many of them. Now, a man is violating many laws too, but a woman especially so. Because the Bible commands wives to submit themselves to their own husbands. Well, that's the very opposite of divorce, that's for sure. So here's number 11. To divorce is wrong because it is never commanded by God, at least in the New Testament. Seeing that in this church age, divorce and separation are clearly forbidden by God, it never ought to be practiced. Never. Now, in the Old Testament, in a rare and special case, in Ezra chapter 10, you can read about it, God seemingly approved it when the men of Israel put away their foreign wives. Well, the purpose, well, number one, it was God who told them to do it. And the purpose for God telling men to divorce their wives was apparently to keep the messianic line pure, the Jewish line, and to keep it uncontaminated by Gentile idolatry. But nowhere in the entire Bible do I see where God approves of a wife leaving or putting away her husband. And yet many in the professing church today defend the practice of wives divorcing their husbands in cases where the husband is said to be guilty of drunkenness, or perversion, or abuse, or wife-beating, or adultery. Yes, all these sins are seriously bad. There's no doubt about that. But so is the sin of divorce, and in some cases, divorce is worse than some of these sins. Here's a good policy. We must not fight sin with sin. We must never render evil for evil, the Bible says. So on the ground that God commands wives, to submit to their own husbands in everything lawful, a wife who leaves her husband or instigates a divorce is disobeying God and ruining her home and is in a degree, is it's an aggravated crime is really what it is when a wife does that. Number 12, 
believing that divorce is sometimes okay will seriously undermine the authority structure of the home, which is an element so vital to family order, family unity, and family happiness. If marriage is ever entered, entered into with the notion that it may be terminated in cases of abuse or adultery or whatever, then wives will be very apt to threaten to leave their husbands if the husband decides to control his home contrary to her wishes. The prevalence of divorce in our day and the pro-divorce mindset has pressured husbands to be reluctant to take charge in their homes for fear that their wives will leave them and strip them of all their property, by the way. The pro-divorce mentality tempts men to shirk their responsibility to love and to rule in accordance to Scripture. Many men have gone against God by refusing to lead and govern and take charge for fear of losing their wives. Some men are afraid to come to Christ and give their lives to Christ because they're afraid their wives will divorce them. Do you see that? the damage that divorce does, it actually has the effect of manipulating men and controlling men to do things that will lead them to hell. Divorce is so wrong, it's unbelievable. And it's the, it's the curse of America right now. So due to a lax view of the permanence of marriage, some men have neglected to teach and enforce God's precepts in their families. This has hurt women and children immensely. Because a man's authority and headship is what women and children need very much. Wives need to be under the authority of their husbands. And children need to be under the authority of their parents. This is how God set it up. Because this arrangement provides much safety, protection, security, direction, and well-being for each member in the home. Can you imagine if a parent would not require the child to go to bed at a certain time at night. Think of what that will do to the child. It will hurt the child and it will bring disorder in the family. So that's why God commands children to obey their parents. And God also commands wives to obey their husbands. And that's for the purpose of having discipline in the home, order, also order and protection. There's much protection in this. The husband acts as an umbrella to the wife and to the whole family. And why do you think the communists and the leftists want to weaken the authority of the fathers and the husbands? It's all designed to subvert the home. That's what these people are. The leftists are nothing else but subverters. They're antichrist. They are out for a new world order wherein they want all power to reside in them. Or And it's eventually going to be in an antichrist. So... We have many absent and uninvolved fathers in our land. Why? Because compromising churches and bad civil laws has undermined the God-given right of men to govern and discipline in their homes. Men fear that if they attempt to love and control their wives and children, that their wives will run away or file for divorce or for separation or something like that. The fear of divorce has tempted and pressured men to become passive and even submissive to their wives. And by the way, that was Adam's first sin. He hearkened unto the voice of his wife instead of hearkening unto the law of God. And men do, are doing that today. And unless this reverses 
you, you can just forget about our country turning around for the better. It won't happen. And even our lives will not turn around for the better. We need to restore the home. So when men become passive or submissive to their wives, what will happen? The wives will tend to control and dominate. Thus, the divinely established order of the home is challenged and subverted. The home then is destroyed and Satan wins. It's that simple. The wives may become independent of their husbands after they divorce them, but they soon become very dependent or bound in other ways. She may marry another man, which is a sin that will lead her to hell. Or she may become subservient to her job. She might have to go out to get a job. Or she becomes subservient to the welfare state that's going to give her a check. You see, and politicians that give welfare checks to these unwed mothers are destroying the unwed mothers. They're destroying children and they're destroying culture and a whole societies. Or this woman who gets divorced may turn to alcohol or to drugs to deal with her guilt and with all her problems. Because a woman who will divorce her husband has got serious moral problems and that will spill over in other areas. So the solution, divorce is never a solution. The most liberated and happy wife is the one who loves God by obeying her husband and stays home to faithfully keep house and raise her children. That's God's plan for the marriage and for the mother and for the wife. A marriage cannot be blessed unless the man loves his wife enough to assume proper authority over her and unless the wife reverences and obeys her husband in all things permitted by conscience. And you can read about that in Ephesians chapter 5. Begin reading verse 22. Read all the way to verse 23. And notice it says the wife is to reverence her husband. That's a step higher than honor or respect. It's higher than respect. It's almost worship. It almost means worship. It does not mean worship, but it's pretty close. It's close to venerate. But reverence means it's a high degree of respect. It's fear mingled with affection. The fear of him mingled with affection for him. That's what reverence is. It's a healthy emotion. And it keeps us all in line. If a wife thinks she can legitimately leave her husband, she will be apt to resist him, especially if he chooses to govern against her will. The idea that divorce is sometimes right, coupled with the idea that divorce, that or coupled with the fact that easy divorce laws are in our land. All this provides much fuel for women to become independent, defiant and self-willed. How can a self-willed person go to heaven? The answer is they're not going to be allowed in heaven. A person needs to be unselfish to, to be saved or to be right with God. They need to have love in their heart for God and for all people. So this woman or this wife will not only injure her husband and her children, but most of all, she will injure herself because her sins will lead to her damnation. That's, that's sad, but this is, what, this is why I, I speak on these things. Everybody loses when uh, anybody pursues divorce. Again, the belief that divorce is sometimes okay tends to seriously undermine family order and the marriage bond. If the marriage bond is perceived as breakable, the husband may fear to act 
as the head of the house, and the wife may become bossy and self-willed. The reversing of the proper and biblical gender role in marriage and in the family. These things are a recipe for marital misery and for divorce. A solid belief that marriage is permanent and indissoluble tends to encourage both spouses to settle down and to carry out their God-given responsibilities whether they feel like it or not. Remember, godliness is not about feeling. Being filled with the Spirit it has nothing to do with feeling. It has everything to do with doing the will of the Spirit, fulfilling the responsibilities that God has laid upon us. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit or to be godly. Since they believe, a married couple that is, they are stuck together by the marriage vow, they will tend to acquiesce in their state of affairs and they will begin to work at being happy together. They will feel like they have no alternative but to lean hard on God, depend upon God by prayer and by biblical guidance. And they will find that they have to develop maturity in their lives. That's what the binding nature of marriage does. It has a way of producing character, long-suffering, patience in us. And most of us need to work on our character. So the binding nature of marriage induces both spouses to stay committed and to learn to be content. The Bible teaches that. Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. So being stuck, end quote, quote, end quote, the word stuck, being stuck in any relationship tends to produce patience, faithfulness, and good character. No young couple ought to get married unless both partners have a solid moral conviction that marriage is a lifelong commitment and that there are no legitimate grounds for divorce. I hope you understand that these all these thoughts are spoken in the heart that I love God, I love people, I love my country, and, um, and I just pray that God would bless these thoughts to your mind. Thank you for listening. God bless. Thank you for listening. The Neurological Deep Dive Podcast and the Gospel Hour with Dawn is brought to you by Simply K&M Studios. Enjoy the next show.